Hi, CityCast listeners. There are undiscovered species in every Houston neighborhood and in every Houston backyard. Today, I am talking with two scientists about one hiding place where those species are being found and about the wild, hidden going-ons that take place in oak trees all around us. It's Wednesday, August 17th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Scott Solomon, Rice University biology professor, entomologist, and CityCast Houston contributor. Thanks for being here today. How are you? Hey, Lisa. I'm doing great. Glad to be here. How are you? I am well. And we have another Scott, who is also a Rice biology professor and bug expert, insect connoisseur, Scott Egan. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Oh, I am excited about this. Scott Solomon has been telling me all about these things that appear on the backs of leaves. You know, like a lot of Houstonians, when I'm walking around looking at natural stuff, a lot of the time I'm not really clear on what I'm looking at. And Scott, could you tell me what these bumps on the backs of oak leaves are? Scott Solomon, could you tell me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's tricky. So, um, yeah, so this is this is something that I think is really neat because I bet that most listeners have seen these before. If you walk around, you often see leaves like from oak trees that have fallen to the ground and they often have these fuzzy little balls growing on them. And the little fuzzy balls are a part of the plant. They're plant tissue, but they're actually caused by insects. So they're called galls. And what a gall is, is basically a place that an insect has laid an egg and that egg has uh, hatched and developed into a baby insect, like a larva. And the plant is basically growing this tissue around that developing insect and giving it a safe space to grow and develop. And there's all different types wow. of them. And each kind has a different structure. Okay. And is that bad for the plant? That's an interesting question. And that's one I will pass <laughs> on to my colleague, okay. <laughs> other Scott, yeah, okay. Scott Egan. Egan. So you study these things, correct? That is correct. So are they bad for the plants, these galls? Are they a problem? So it depends. Uh, many of these galls are, are fairly small, although they can be quite numerous on an individual host plant. Uh, so there's a lot of extra biomass created by these galls. But as far as we can tell, uh, those trees tend to continue to live, to produce acorns or seeds and, um, and survive quite well. Uh, there are some galls that uh, induce um, these structures on the stems and the branches. And when they get to exceptionally high levels, which is very rare, then that can actually cause structural damage to the tree and it can eventually kill them. But for the most part, uh, these galls uh, tend to induce their uh, little homes on the trees, the trees grow them, and everybody mm -hmm. seems pretty happy. So if it's on, say, a trunk or a branch, is it a little fuzzy ball like the ones I see on leaves? What does it look like? Right. So, so as Scott said, they're highly variable. So every tissue of the plant that um, has something called meristematic tissue, which is basically a plant stem cells, can be induced into a gall. So we find galls on the roots. We find 
gulls on the branches and new stems. We find them on the leaves, which is probably the one folks have seen most often. Uh, the buds themselves can be induced into galls. And then even the reproductive structure. So the male flowering structure is called a catkin. It's the thing that spreads pollen all over our region in the spring. Um, and those uh, very tiny structures harbor multiple species of gall former. Even the acorns themselves can be galled. And are they always little fuzzy balls or what would I, what would they look like if I'm yeah, the, looking uh, for different kinds of Highly balls? variable. Um, they uh -huh. can be um, single chambered or multi-chambered. So that just means you have a single gall former inside, or you can have tens or even sometimes uh, rarely hundreds of individuals inside a, an individual uh, gall. Uh, they can be spherical. They can be globular. They can be ovate. Uh, they can be fuzzy. They can have spikes on them. They can have mm. internal defensive structures where basically you have an outer uh, shell and then inside the inner chamber has kind of detached from the outer chamber. So it kind of rolls around on the inside. One of my favorite galls that's right here in the Houston mm -hmm. area is a gall induced by the wasp Dishel caspis. And these guys... Uh, uh, make a spherical tumor uh, right on the buds. But then in addition, they induce the oak to emit a sugary substance that attracts ants to the outside. So these galls will have gooey like mm -hmm. honey material on the outside. The ants sit on the outside <laughs> and eat it and indirectly defend the gall former inside. Oh, wow. So if something is coming for the gall, the ants will get it. That's correct. And, and, and I love gall formers, yeah. but the, the real action is these parasitoid wasps, these predatory insects that attack the gall formers. Uh, they're quite amazing and cause uh, massive mortality in the gall formers. So they need defenses, structural or these uh -huh. kind of mutualist uh, defenses. All right. So um, Solomon, Scott Solomon, um, yes. you have been telling me that Galls are the home of all sorts of insects that we are only now beginning to discover, or we're discovering them because we're looking for them now. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I find fascinating uh, about, you know, the work that, that Scott Egan and his colleagues are doing is that, you know, we walk around and, you know, you were saying that, you know, you, you like to kind of recognize the species that you, you find in your vicinity. I think that's something that all people enjoy doing, right? We want to be able to recognize different types of flowers and birds and butterflies and, and things that we have in our environment. Um, one of the things that this gall research shows us is that there's all of this hidden biological diversity that is literally right under our, our noses and, and we all are surrounded by it. And yet, not only do we not necessarily notice it, much of it has not even yet been documented and described scientifically. So I think it's one of the really exciting things that um, that Scott Egan and his team are doing is, is going out and actually just documenting the, the, the most basic and yet fundamental part of biology, which is knowing what's out there. Yeah, it kind of blows my mind that there are probably species in my own backyard that have not been named. Egan, tell me about some that you have discovered recently. Sure. Um, so we'll start off with the gall formers themselves. Uh, mm -hmm. We work on the community that lives on live oaks, which is uh, the species Quercus virginiana, which is right out the front door of the biology building here at Rice and really surrounds the, mm -hmm. the 
Gulf Coast from Florida all the way to the southern tip of Texas uh, down near Mexico. And uh, on there, there was previously somewhere on the order of 10 to 12 different species. But as we've begun to look closer, uh, we've been finding there are many more gulls on many more parts of the tissues on the plant. And uh, we've been slowly working to describe each and every one of them. Mm -hmm. One species we recently described, uh, led by a grad student in my lab, Pedro Brandau, was the species Neuroterus Valhalla. Valhalla. Like, Valhalla is the name of the Rice grad student bar, correct? (laughs) That is correct. And the reason (laughs) it received that name Uh is because right outside the front door of that bar on campus is a giant live oak. And that live oak was covered with this new species we discovered. And it has an interesting Uh story. We originally were uh, doing some DNA sequencing of other species that we were rearing out of other plant tissues. And as we started matching up the DNA sequences, we began to realize we found the thing we were looking for. And we also found a mystery sequence that didn't match with any of the other documented sequences we had. So wait, how does this work? We, we have many methods of, of gull rearing. So gulls are really amazing because once they get, uh, once they're fully developed on the tree, uh, you can actually pull them off the tree and raise them in the laboratory. We also have greenhouses with small little sapling oak trees where we also grow gulls in a uh-huh. greenhouse. So they're amenable <laughs> to lab work, and that's nice. So yeah. uh, we just have some simple glass mason jars with a turned upside down funnel and a little uh, uh, a vial on top, and they emerge out of those mm-hmm. gulls and fly to the top, and we collect them and do the DNA extractions directly from the adults. Ah, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. How do you get the galls to begin with? Are your grad students up climbing in the trees? Uh, they can. They don't have to. Uh, live oaks uh, specifically are, are a little unique in their growth form uh, compared to a lot of oak trees that grow quite tall. Um, live oaks tend to grow wide, and so you can get access mm-hmm. to the canopy uh, from the ground level. Um, we may choose some trees that are easy to access. Uh, the Valhalla tree itself had a nice canopy that went all the way down to the ground that we could just look at, at uh thousands of leaves and branches uh, yeah. just in a couple minutes. Okay. So you found the Valhalla wasp. Anything else interesting? Yes. Um, so, you know, all gall formers, as Scott Solomon just mentioned, um, are attacked by a huge species-rich community of natural enemies. And most of those are predatory wasps called parasitoids. Um, so in other uh, studies, we've been rearing out other gall formers And we actually uh, discovered an amazing new parasitoid wasp as well that while we originally found in Florida when I was on vacation with my family, we've since... Oh, you have the best vacations. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty pretty bad. I can't walk five feet down a nature trail without um, having to stop and look at something. We actually have family rules about that. (laughs) Or else else we'd never get anywhere. And you broke one. Yes, yes. But anyway, you you found... Uh, so we, we found this one gall former uh-huh. that was amazingly common in this one area. And um, and when you see the galls, you'll commonly find older galls that will have emergence holes where the wasp has emerged from a previous generation. But in this one gall former, uh, we found all those emergence holes, but peering back out of that exit hole was the head of the gall wasp. It was sitting there with its head stuck in the hole. And I thought that was odd in general. So uh, my daughter and I collected some in the Ziploc bag I carry in my pocket at all times. 
And, <laughs> for emergencies? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, you should see my desk here at work. Um, <laughs> and uh, we just l- left them, uh, and I peeked uh-huh. back at them like a couple months later, and each one of those gall wasps that was stuck in that hole uh, had a hole in its head. And in the bottom oh. of those Ziploc bags, we had this beautiful, tiny, iridescent wasp uh, that appeared to cause it. So after a, a series of studies of just exploring this in great te- detail, including finding the larvae in the galls uh-huh. to the adults emerging, we discovered that this parasitoid lays its eggs into the gall uh, former's little space inside the gall, which we call a crypt and at some point manipulates the behavior of the gall wasp for its benefit. It can't crawl out of the woody gall on its own, so it needs its prey, the gall former, to burrow a little tunnel to make the exit mm-hmm. hole. It then stops and kills it halfway through, and then this beautiful new species we discovered eats through its body and emerges through its face. And oh, this is so gruesome. Yes, and yeah. we named this uh, <laughs> the common name, the Crypt Keeper Wasp, and the scientific uh-huh. name Uterus Set, Set named after the Egyptian god of chaos and mind control, who <laughs> cut up his brother Osiris and ripped him into a million pieces in mythology. Oh, this is going to give me nightmares. Yes. I encourage you to look up a picture of yeah. this beautiful wasp. I mean, it's only a millimeter and yeah. a half, but uh, under a yeah. microscope, it's one of the more beautiful things I've ever seen in the world. Why? Is it, it's iridescent? It's iridescent. Depending on the angle, it's different colors Uh from greens and blues to, to a little bit of a bronze to a gold, um, clear wings. And then it's beautiful. Six legs have little white bottoms with tiny little black socks on the bottom. They're just, they're just beautiful. Yeah. I mean, these insects are, they're tiny, so we, we don't notice them and their, their biology makes it hard to even have an opportunity to notice them. But if these things were larger, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you think butterflies are pretty. I think people would be blown away by how spectacularly beautiful these tiny little wasps are if if we could see them more easily. Yeah. They're really amazing. And it kind of brings home this idea that there is so much life going on outside that I don't see. I don't understand it. Right, right. Yeah. All right. So, Egan, what else have you got that I should know about? What else are you finding? Well, you know, I I would guess say, you know, this is such a source of undiscovered biodiversity that we will be working on for decades. Um, You know, we have the live oak that's very common here in Texas, uh, but this is a group of plants called live oaks that are distributed across Uh, the Gulf of Mexico and down into down into Mexico and Central America that we work on and collaborate with folks down in Mexico City on. Uh, they're covered with gall formers, which we're still working on that yeah. level of diversity. We're up to 15 or 16 species. We already know there are others because we found things we don't know about, and we're still trying to work yeah. on those. But gall formers themselves have all sorts of amazing things about their biology. So, you know, one thing I think is exceptionally cool is they actually have two generations per year per species, and each one of those mm-hmm. induces a different gall on a different part of the plant. So the Bellinocnema oh. gall I told you about with the spherical gall and mm-hmm. the underside of leaves that are growing right now, they'll emerge in the fall, and then out of that leaf gall will emerge an all-female asexual generation. They'll live for two to five days as adults. They'll descend down to the roots and induce the sexual generation of uh, the gall wasps. And this is common among all gall-forming wasps. There are thousands of, of so known wait, species. So wait, how do they do this? 
What are they, if they're all female and asexual, yep. how do they do that? Yeah, it's called parthenogenesis. And it's, a, it's the ability uh-huh. for, uh, for insects and other organisms to, uh, to reproduce uh, asexually, where they basically do something during oogenesis, which is like the generation of the, the gametes, to like duplicate or double their chromosomes. So they basically lay an egg that is a tiny, going to become a tiny clone of themselves? Or? Yes, sort of. Um, it's actually sort of. further complicated yeah. by the fact uh-huh. that all bees, ants, and wasps are haplodiploid. So if you remember from like your oh. honeybee studies, oh. unfertilized eggs go on to be males and fertilized eggs go on to be uh, females. Lots going on. Wasps are weird. <laughs> <laughs> Bottom line. <laughs> okay. So, Lisa, one of the things I think is is really cool about these gall-forming insects, in addition to all of the amazing biology that, you know, Scott Egan and his team are, are discovering, uh, galls have played an important role in human history because uh, the earliest forms of permanent ink were actually made from galls. What? So the, the galls themselves <laughs> are actually very rich in tannic acid. Uh-huh. And so what people would do, and this goes back to like 2000 BC, people figured out that if you boil these galls, you get a rich solution of tannic acid. And then if you mix that with iron salts, you get a permanent ink. Whoa. And so, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls, early copies of the Bible, Da Vinci's drawings, Shakespeare's plays, <laughs> it goes on and on. Beethoven the Declaration Sim- of Independence. Exactly. The U.S. Declaration of Independence. All of these documents were written with ink made from galls. Wow. So, so I mean, you can literally say juice. that galls. Yeah, the bug juice, right? <laughs> these galls have, have, have literally written history. Oh, oh. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both. This has been fascinating. Yep. Happy to talk about galls anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I, and I now encourage all listeners when they're next outside uh, taking a walk to, to take a look and see if they can find some galls. I, I bet you can. That was Scott Solomon and Scott Egan. Now I am here with CityCast producer Carlyone Jones. Carly, what is going on in Houston today? Hey, Lisa. So get into this story, y'all. The residents of a 33-story luxury high-rise were forced to evacuate their building because of a water leak. This happened at the Royalton at River Oaks on the corner of Allen Parkway and Wah. And so far, they don't know the extent of all the damages, but they do say that when firefighters arrived, they found part of the floor had buckled and damaged to the interior wall. Now, the building residents are being told to plan for a long-term evacuation because according to the Public Works Department, there's no timeline for when the repairs might be made. Yikes. That is it for our show today. Tomorrow, the CityCast crew will be talking about Houston's best brunches. We would love to include your voice on our show, so please call us, 713-489-6972, and leave a message on our voicemail. Tell us your name, your favorite brunch spot, and what makes it so great. We will have that number in our show notes. Talk with you tomorrow. Bye. Now, I am here. It is you, right, Carly? Who am I here with? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's amazing how they start blurring.